Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. If this sounds slightly different on this episode, that's because we're recording on a different computer this week. My computer broke. But we're still bringing you service. (laughs) Great time for my computer to break. Just like a perfect timing, honestly. Also a a great time for my coffee maker to break, which is what happened this week also. And my washer broke this week. Stop it. I'm not kidding. I just did laundry at a friend's house. I'm at the end of my fucking (laughs) rope. Everything's breaking. Really, I've been like having the worst technology week. And I do consider my coffee maker an essential piece of technology. Oh, totally. So if the sound sounds a little different, I'm, I apologize. Yeah. And it will sound back to normal when my computer is fixed in two days. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's start off the show <laughs> by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. Uh, these contributors help support the show, and they are literally paying for the services to get my computer fixed. So <laughs> I greatly appreciate that. You have no idea. This week, we had TRH Cabana 3. Jessica, Kristen, Sydney, Marcy, Kate, Chelsea, Mary, Karen, Amy, Sophia, Michelle, Allison, Joyce, Liz, Sarah, Juliet, and Renee. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. So I switched my story last minute this week because I realized the other one was going to be a lot more work than I had anticipated. So I'll probably save it for next month. It might be a two-parter. And um, someone recently on Twitter brought up the movie A Place in the Sun, which is one of my favorite old movies. It stars Montgomery Clift, Elizabeth Taylor, and Shelley Winters. I actually had also read the book that the movie was based on, which is called An American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser. But it wasn't until I started reading about the movie after someone posted it last week, I like went to the Wikipedia page for some reason. And I realized that the movie was actually based on a real crime, the 1906 murder of Grace Brown by Chester Gillette. Now, this this murder case was a front page news like every day during the arrest and trial of this man. Not only did it inspire a classic movie and book, it is still studied today as a model case of using circumstantial evidence to convict a murderer. Um, I used mostly old newspapers for this, including a website called Fold3, which is like an Ancestry.com website, um, court transcripts, and a blog called What Lies Beyond. Um, <laughs> so I didn't get much chance to like delve into that website. It was just one of their articles popped up, but it looked kind of cool. <laughs> so here's the real story behind the movie. Grace Brown was born March 14th, 1886, and she grew up on a dairy farm in South Ostelic, 
um, which is in upstate New York. She was reportedly given the nickname Billy because she loved the contemporary hit song, Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey. You know that contemporary hit song? It's a slapper. Uh, she also would later, she writes these love letters letter, and I'll get into those. She starts signing off her letters as The Kid, which is a reference to Western outlaw Billy the Kid. Now, after she completes high school at the age of 18, she leaves home to live with her married sister who lives 20 miles away in Cortland, New York. And her sister had just had a baby, so she's going to help her sister out with this new baby. She also begins working as a fabric cutter at the Gillette Skirt Factory. Now, every time I hear skirt factory, for some reason, I keep thinking of like the slang for like women. They call them like a skirt. Have you heard that slang? So you're thinking of like a factory for bitches? Yeah. Like, I don't know why when I hear, oh, skirt factory. Like, it's just legitimately a skirt factory. Checking out broads down at the old (laughs) skirt factory. Exactly. It sounds like more slang to me. Uh, Anyway, Grace was described as pretty with a nice figure, and she often styled her hair like a Gibson girl, which was probably really common at that period. Now... It was at the Gillette skirt factory that she caught the eye of Chester Gillette, who worked in the stock room and was also the nephew of the factory owner. Now, Chester Gillette, unlike his uncle, his family did not have money. Although his parents were once financially comfortable, they were really religious and eventually gave up all of their material wealth so they could join the Salvation Army. The family then traveled around the United States during his childhood. Chester was never very religious, though. He eventually attends Oberlin College, which his wealthy uncle pays for, and he leaves there after two years. After leaving school, he works odd jobs until 1905 when he takes a job at his uncle's skirt factory. (laughs) Sorry. Shortly after he starts um, working there, he begins that romantic and sexual relationship with Grace Brown, who he describes as a factory girl. Did you ever see the movie, by the way, A Place in the Sun? A long time ago. Oh, okay. In 1905, um, Grace's sister leaves Cortland and Grace like rents a room from an old woman has like a, what's it called? Like a boarding boarding house. house. Yeah. So this becomes a much more ideal situation for the young lovers to meet up at this point. A lot of people um, see this story as a horny young guy taking advantage of an innocent young girl. And there are some theories that he initially raped Grace, but that was never something she herself said. And regardless of how it started, the two continue a sexual relationship for months um, after the start. Now, I'm sure like, it's also a part like the people back then were like, women don't like fucking. Like, I'm sure she was probably into it too. Like, it was just more of the times where no one thought women would want that. But um, she definitely does start seeing the relationship um, beyond what he sees the relationship as uh, for sure. Unfortunately, something happens that makes it impossible for them to keep the affair discreet. Grace gets knocked up. Now, We all know that back then that was just something that women did not do. Some speculate that Grace would have never fucked some guy if she didn't think marriage was in the future. But um, regardless of what she may have thought about pre-pregnancy, at that point she does become determined to get married and Chester was not feeling it. He would later claim um, he never offered her marriage, like even just to get laid. Like he said that he never said he was intending to marry her. Um, As I mentioned earlier, Chester uh, traveled the country a lot and considered himself much more sophisticated than the factory girl, Grace. And due to this 
like wealth that his uncle had, he had connections to the upper echelon of Cortland society. His uncle would often hold lavish parties, and it was at one of these parties that Chester met Harriet Benedict. Before, um, before Grace got knocked up, his schedule was sort of spending time at these weekends partying with rich people and then see, sneaking off to see his factory girl um, several times a week for sex. So that was kind of his thing. He kept her secret, like this dirty secret, basically. Now, after she realized she was pregnant, people started noticing that Grace and Chester were fighting more at work, and Grace was seen constantly crying outside of the factory. Grace was really putting the pressure on Chester now to marry her, and Chester was giving her vague answers and kind of buying time with promises to keep her from blowing everything wide open. Sorry, I just... (laughs) Can we talk about this guy's name is Chester? I know. I just can't imagine, like, I mean, it just makes sense. Like, his name's Chester. He's kind of a scumbag. He's like a Weasley, nerdy scumbag. I just think of the cheetah. The the cheetah. (laughs) Wasn't the cheeto cheetah? Chester cheetah. Chester cheetah. Like, he's kind of a scumbag. That cheetah is a scumbag. And Chester the molester. Is that a thing? Yeah, Chester the molester. That's like a nickname for people who are molesters. (laughs) It's a common nickname. I don't know, Desi. You would know. (laughs) Seriously, I never used it. I guess I was old school. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he's like a piece of shit guy for sure. Now, on June 15th, 1906, um, Grace goes home to South Ostalic to visit her family and like she's back on the family farm. She began sewing garments for her wedding trousseau and writing daily letters to Chester. Now, Chester is relieved she's gone. He's living it up free at last and partying with his rich friends. He's ignoring all the letters that Grace is sending him. And Grace finally calls him on the, th- on the phone and threatens to return to Cortland and expose everything. Is Cortland where the apples are from? Oh. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> I don't know. But there's a lot of apple farms in upstate New York. That so, must, I think that's where the apples uh, are from. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't research the town much, but yeah, it's pretty, uh, up there and that makes sense. So, um, he promises grace that they're going to go away together soon. Like he's like sort of putting her off with this promised trip at this point, but he's partying. Where's this other girl that he's doing? At this she's point? in Cortland. She's, in, she's Cor- in Cortland and now grace is home on her family farm and she's going to fuck up his whole shit. Or yeah. Threatening to. So, so if you haven't figured it out and you don't know the movie, Harriet is the Elizabeth Taylor character and Shelley Winters is the Grace character. Um, Like Grace, uh, I'm sorry, Elizabeth Taylor is like the pretty rich girl that he starts falling for in the movie. I'll get more into the movie later though. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash H-C-S. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Grace was also getting letters from her friends telling her all about Chester's escapades and the fact that he was dating this other woman. Now, one of the reasons he kept postponing their getaway was because he was spending 4th of July with Harriet. He even takes a photo on on that trip of himself in a rowboat with oars, something that will later seem quite prophetic. Now, In this case, Chester was the one who had an idealized um, version of the relationship with Harriet. He kind of claims that Harriet is his fiance, and Harriet is like, nah. She denies um, that that relationship was ever more than just sort of hanging out with friends. She even issues a formal press release later on proclaiming, I have never been engaged to Chester E. Gillette. Our acquaintance was of a limited duration and that not a word or suggestion was ever made between us about an engagement. I love the idea of releasing a press statement, <laughs> telling, telling the world that you were never with a guy. It's like so extra. (laughs) Like we are not fucking or we are just fucking, I promise. Yeah. Attention world. (laughs) I would never marry this person. So eventually Chester can no longer put Grace off and he requests vacation time off from the factory. And on Monday, July 9th, 1906, he and Grace began their journey to the Adirondacks. 
On Wednesday, July 11th, they arrive and check into the Glenmore Hotel that's on Big Moose Lake. Um, now, Chester, when he signs in, he registers under Carl Graham of Albany, and he puts her name down as Grace Brown. He had one suitcase, which was monogrammed CEG, so he kind of had to use initial, like the names that would fit those initials as well. And he, the only other thing he checked in with was a tennis racket. Now, Brown had packed her entire wardrobe for the trip, and Gillette obviously packed this one small suitcase. So some writers and people who have sort of studied this case suggest that Gillette had promised to take Brown to a maternity home in upstate New York where she could live until she delivered the baby. But there's like not really much evidence of that. There's just speculation that that's why she brought so much more than he did. At some point, the pair rent a rowboat, which is a 17-foot Adirondack skiff, so that they could explore the lake later that afternoon. Now, the first sign that something was off is that Chester supposedly left Grace at the dock to go back and get some things for their trip. When he came back, he brought his suitcase and his tennis racket, but nothing, not even a sun hat for Grace. The man who rented Chester the boat noticed this and found it odd. He said that when he watched the pair put out um, row out onto Big Moose Lake that they just kind of went into this sort of excluded, I'm sorry, excluded, not excluded, secluded, secluded sorry, secluded cove and sort of disappeared from his sight. Around 6 p.m., a married couple, also on a boat on the lake, claimed to have heard a piercing short cry coming from the eastern shore. Around 8 p.m., witnesses claimed to have seen a young man carrying a suitcase on a road off the lake, and he was sort of hiking through the woods toward Fulton Chain Lakes and the Arrowhead Hotel. There, he would check in under his real name. Witnesses would later say he seemed calm, collected, and perfectly at ease. When Grace and Chester did not return their boat that night, they were reported missing, and the next morning, a rescue crew was sent out and began a search to um, find where those two were on the lake. Eventually, when they got to this area of the lake that was called Punky Bay, one of the lake's most isolated areas, they saw an upside-down boat. A lady's black jacket was caught on the, the keel of the boat, and a man's straw hat and some magazines were floating nearby. One rescuer spotted something that looked like garbage at the bottom of the lake. He pointed it out to the crew. They were like, nah, that's nothing. But he persisted. He got like a long spiked pole and lowered it into the water. The crew began to like poke around at this thing and hauled it up through the waters. Many years after the trial, by the way, um, this pole that they used would be something that they kind of said might have caused the damage to her body. But, um, it wasn't really proven. It like, didn't go anywhere. Um, as this book that I looked into called Murder in the Adirondacks, the author Craig Brandon, he said in the book, the head and chest of a young woman came out of the water first. Uh, the cor- corpse was quickly hauled on board and, and hurried towards shore. Some of the rescue crew wondered if the woman's companion was also at the lake's bottom. Now, when Grace's body was recovered, her face was noticeably beaten and discolored, had several abrasions, and even had blood coming out of her nostrils. So things sort of appeared suspicious right away. Now, she's taken in for an autopsy that is performed Saturday, July 14th. The final report reads as follows. 
the body of a female, well-nourished, height 5 feet 1 inch, weight 105 or 110 pounds. The lips were swollen and discolored. The tip of her nose presented a little appearance, somewhat flattened. The left cheek or molar bone presented discoloration. The right central incisor or tooth was loose in its socket. They found an abrasion of mucous membrane on the lip. The injury of the lip and the teeth and the nose had been inflicted before death. They also had a black and blue spot with a degree of swelling that had been inflicted prior to death. Um, There was discoloration on her scalp on the right side, about three inches above her ear. There was an incision um, extended into her scalp, and the blood vessels were ruptured, and a hemorrhage had occurred on the side of her head. Now, beneath this, the blood had clotted to the size of a dime, and the injury had penetrated the skull. Um, So... This injury occurred before death. All of these injuries basically occurred before death. So the autopsy results made it clear that this was not an accidental drowning. She was hit in her head and on her face before she went into the water. So she wasn't just knocked out once by one blow. She was repeatedly beaten. On the head. With an object. Right. And it was before she drowned. Right. So, yeah. Now... As was common in these situations, the newspaper reporters pretty much arrived almost right away onto the scene because this was like a pretty big deal. Um, so they they were easily able to identify her as Grace Bound because he um, had signed in her with her real name. She, they found out that she worked at the Gillette Skirt Factory in Cortland, New York. Further evidence... Um, They looked into that there was no Carl Graham, but they did know that she was very friendly with Chester Gillette, who also had the same initials as the guy who signed in. Now, the search for Carl Graham quickly turned into the search for Chester Gillette, and Chester Gillette was arrested while attempting to flee, and he was almost immediately charged with the murder of Grace Brown. The district attorney at the time was a man named George Word. Ward, and he said immediately that he would be seeking the electric chair for Chester. He was held in Herkimer County Jail until November 12, 1906, at which time he was escorted across the street to the courthouse to stand trial. Now, one of the wildest aspects of this arrest and what will happen in the trial is that all of the love letters Grace Brown sent to Chester were read aloud in court because Chester had saved every single one of them and they were confiscated when he was arrested. So all of those letters he sent, she sent her, he had saved for some reason. Now, newspapers um, that were sort of covering the trial noted that the reading of the dead girl's anguished letters um, left like not a dry eye in the courthouse. Now, the reading of these letters created such like disastrous public opinion for Chester that people actually wanted to storm the jail and lynch him. Like it got to that point where they were literally outside the jail wanting to like get him and fucking kill him. And the reason why were these letters were just awful to listen to. I mean, there's there's numerous ones. I'll just give you an example. Like the tone of these are literally I've done nothing but cry since I got here. If only you were here, I would not feel so bad. Chester, there isn't a girl in the world as miserable as I am tonight, and you have made me feel so. And then she would go on like immediately into, Chester, I don't mean that. Like this back and forth, like this girl is just in misery. She's pouring her heart out. Um, She's saying that she wishes she could die and that she knows that that would make him happy and she doesn't want 
him to feel bad and she wants him to be happy and she knows the only Mm. way that will happen is if she's out of his life forever. How old is she again at this point when she's ready? I think she's like 18 or 19. She's really young. Now, in contrast to that, we have the letters that Chester sends her. So they found they got they had hold of his letters, letters as well that they now, got a hold from her house or something. right okay. yeah and his letters are literally like i can't get away before the seventh or eighth and i do not think there is an easy way to you know so don't worry before then like hey perhaps i wrote too harshly friday about your telephoning and your worry but it's entirely unnecessary and not at all like like it's just literally <laughs> this is like the equivalent of like someone like an 18 year old girl who's like drinking a bunch of vodka or wine or whatever and she's texting this fuck boy that she's been with right sending paragraphs of text like you know maybe she's justified in her anger towards this guy and then he sends back a k yeah he's like the k guy k okay yeah absolutely brutal so he's just very professional and curt and she's literally in misery constantly pouring her heart out and like think about her situation She's pregnant. She's 19. This is a time where that is just not fucking acceptable. Because she's not getting married to this. Yeah. She's not married to this guy. And this guy's like blowing her off and living this good life. Like that must be infuriating to see. I mean, he's... (laughs) It's like when people post new pictures on their Instagram after like treating you like shit or something, you know, like you're hearing all these stories about him living this life with this glamorous, beautiful new woman and you're like at home on your farm pregnant (laughs) wasn't he significantly like richer than her too no he's not from wealth his uncle is from money but he doesn't really have money but he's connected more yeah and she was definitely like i think he considered her beneath him right right uh so yeah he didn't really have money but he had he had the potential to get there but she's like a working class girl yes absolutely So, I mean, you get the gist of these letters. They're reading them in court and people are just fucking like outraged at this guy's fucking behavior. Um, She talks about her mom. She's worried about her mom in some of these letters. It's just awful to hear. One of the more gruesome things that was revealed during the trial, at some point, the district attorney who is questioning one of the um, physicians who did the autopsy, he saunters across the courtroom carrying a jar that contained a uterus and a dead fetus and oh, asked him to identify shit. them. So that was like a very uh, explosive moment. Whoa. I completely forgot that she was pregnant when she was killed until I saw that detail. And I was like, oh, yeah, he killed a pregnant woman. Like, That's so wild. Yeah. So that was the... That was her unborn child and womb. That they brought it into mm-hmm. the courtroom. Not, into the courtroom not in like a, a fucking jar. Not like a <laughs> photograph, like the actual right. uterus and fetus in jar. That's like gruesome for these days. <laughs> Can you even imagine like how fucked up people thought that was? Like, Yeah. I mean. That's fucked. It's a lot. So there's a lot of theories that are presented as to what happened in the boat on Big Moose Lake. That that day, the prosecution basically contends that Chester knew Grace could not swim. He rented the boat, rode out to the secluded spot, and murdered the girl, striking her with the tennis racket or one of the oars. A strand of long brown hair was discovered on one of the oar locks. Now, after getting hit with this forceful blow into the head, he shoved her overboard and watched her drown, basically. He then rowed ashore and kind of removed his suitcase, turned the boat over and gave it like a push back into the lake and basically just let his, you know, whatever you call her, her love, his lover and his unborn child 
just kind of lay dead at the bottom of this lake as he kind of hiked it out there with his suitcase. Other people thought that Grace might have committed suicide by diving into the water after an argument with him where he refused to marry her. But um, of all the scenarios that were presented, the stupidest one came from Chester himself. He takes the witness stand and he basically claims that Grace became distraught and took her own life after he suggested that they go and explain what happened to her parents. So she beat her own ass. Yeah. And threw herself in the lake. So this is Chester's testimony. He said, we talked about what we ought to do. And I said, we ought not to keep on as we had. I finally said, I thought her father and mother ought to know of what had occurred. She, she said she couldn't tell her mother and cried. I told her she would have to. She said, you don't know my father. You can't tell him. We talked a little more and then she got up and jumped in the water, just jumped in. I was in the other end leaning back. When I started to get up, the boat turned over. When I came up, I caught hold of the boat. He's, and the, the prosecutor asked, did you see her? I couldn't. After a couple of minutes, when I couldn't see her, I swam to the shore. I went off through the woods with my stuff. It had landed near it. My hat was in the water, I guess. <laughs> I like that he, that was like why she committed suicide, because she didn't want to tell her parents. And it also like obviously makes him look good. Like, I want to do the right thing and talk Ugh. to your parents about it. Like, he had to go there. Um, so that did nothing to help him. He had actually changed his story several times by that point. He said that he wasn't there when she drowned, that it was an accidental drowning, that it was a suicide. So it just was all over the place. For someone who kind of planned it, he kind of half-assedly planned this thing. Like, he clearly planned it. But like, didn't think it all the way through or something. If he wanted to make it look like a suicide, he did. He picked a crappy way of killing someone. I don't know if it's very common to drown yourself like that. It must be a more rare <laughs> way to do it. Well, I mean, I, I mean, maybe people like I don't know. I just think like the whole like she had massive injuries like that were right from being beaten right by some kind of object. Obviously. Someone else did that. Well, he did. Obviously, that was another thing he had a hard time explaining. Like, how did she have all these injuries? Why did he take his suitcase on the boat ride? Like, that was also really weird. Like, he would have had an easier time just blaming it on a one-armed man. Yeah, exactly. Um, Also, why was nothing wet if the boat overturned? Like, there was a lot of inconsistencies. And that's what I think I talked about earlier, that it was like this circumstantial evidence case. Now... The jury did not believe this guy. He was convicted of first-degree murder, and a few days later, the judge sentenced him to death in the electric chair. He was transferred to Auburn Prison, where he remained until March 30th, 1908, and it was then that he was executed at the age of 24. Now, one interesting thing about, like, you've done a lot of old stories with these, like, old, like, executions. Back in the day, they used to fucking literally break down the execution in great detail in the newspapers. That's like so wild to me, like to the point where he's like, he's strapped in, he stood, he sat there staring intensely in strained silence, rigidly gripping. Like they go into detail about the, 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 like whatever the convulsions and like, and the people, they, they go into detail in these, in the papers also about like the reactions from the crowd and stuff too. Yeah. It's really wild. Like this is an article that's like four pages that's purely almost about like the execution and like what his last day was like. What Just paper like a gruesome. Um I don't know which one this is. 
I don't know. Some New York local paper, probably. Yeah. Now, according to this paper, he also um, supposedly confessed to his spiritual advisors at the end that he did kill her, but there was nothing ever on record. And obviously they can't break that confidentiality. So his body is eventually put into an unmarked grave. By the way, his uncle did not pay for any of his like expenses as far as his trial went, his like, you know, defense attorneys and or anything like that. His mom did kind of um come back into his life at that point and um she obviously defended him to the end and she thinks that he didn't get a fair trial. So she was definitely like the mom who defends her uh killer son, <laughs> the classic. Now This case, as I mentioned earlier, sort of inspired this book by Theodore Dreiser called American Tragedy. That was eventually made into the movie A Place in the Sun um, that starred Elizabeth Taylor. Montgomery Cliff played the character based on Clifford, I'm sorry, Chester Gillette. And then Shelley Winters plays the Grace Brown. One of the major differences, I think, between the real story and the movie is that in the movie, the Shelley Winters character is really irritating. Like you're almost like you feel bad for her, but there's part of you that wants them to, to like be together, Elizabeth Taylor and like Montgomery cliff. And she's just constantly there like nagging him. And she's like a little bit more crass and like they're, they definitely make the contrast between them much stronger. Um, the other difference is in the movie, it is an accident, but when she falls into the water, he doesn't save her. Like, he knows she can't swim, and he basically watches her drown. So technically, um, he murders her. Right. But it was not, like, an intentional thing. Like, she falls into the water, and he knows she can't swim, and he basically lets it happen. Yeah. Uh, Another interesting aspect of the movie is that um, at some point, she goes in to see a doctor about the pregnancy, and there's, like, an insinuation that she's trying to get an abortion. Now... In the script, it originally says, doctor, you've got to help me. But they changed the line to somebody's got to help me. And supposedly that made it less abortion-y than specifically asking the doctor to help her. So um, that's basically it. That's the story of the Grace Brown murder. Wow. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So I think last week we talked about sort of switching up the minis since there's not much news happening right now. So on this week's mini, which will drop on Friday, I'm going to focus on some of the haunting and ghost stories related to this case that sort of take place in the Adirondacks. There's lots of hotels and old school like venues and places still at the site of where she was murdered. And people say that they um, have seen Grace's ghost or felt her spirit at these places. I actually found an unsolved mysteries that was based on this story and initially thought that I would use it to research the case. 
but it turned out to be all haunting <gasps> and uh, supernatural stuff that was related. So there's like a ton, like there's a whole unsolved mysteries of this case. Now, as well as that, I saw another case that was inspired by the American tragedy and American tragedy murder. And I'm going to tell that story as well. This is a very similar murder that took place in Pennsylvania in 1934. It involves two lovers. One of the bodies ends up in a lake. The cases are so similar that the press at the time dubs that murder uh, an American tragedy murder. So I'm going to go into that case a little bit as well on Friday's episode. So yeah, I'm looking forward to those um, as well. Oh man, you know I'm looking forward to some <laughs> ghost shit. There were so many ghost stories. Uh, I have some of them here. I'm not going to get into them. I just started collecting them. But yeah, it's definitely like the courthouse where he was on trial and convicted is one of them. There's just like, there's definitely things where it's like piercing screams are heard in certain areas that that she was in. Um, but a lot of them take place in the jail where he was held. Um, her spirit has been seen on apple trees. Like <gasps> like there are some farms and stuff like around this area. <laughs> are, Desi, are Cortland apples haunted? I think Cortland apples might be haunted. It's all coming together. Maybe I should make a Cortland apple crisp before you come over. Ooh, are, do you like Cortland apples? Sure, I guess. Why do you not like? <laughs> I don't. Them? I don't even know that I've ever had. Are they red apples? No, like, they're not red. Delicious apples. No, they're, but are they red? Like, yeah, they're reddish. They're, they're like the red and gold kind. Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. They're like one of those hybridy apples that are like heirloom-ish. Okay. I yeah. guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't have like a strong opinion about them. I'm just looking for food angles here. I, look, always, I like, I I'm, always want food angles. I, in fact, I'm thinking that, you know what? I, new idea. I think every Friday, one of us should bring uh, a dish inspired. A dish inspired by the whatever case we did. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that idea too. So then I should make the dish. <laughs> I mean, I can make week. it. Okay. I don't care. We don't care. We'll what, do it. <laughs> one of us brings something. You could bring something else. I don't know what else is on brand. What did people eat in the Edwardian era? I don't know, but there's like this hotel called the Covewood Lodge that's very haunted by Grace Brown. So maybe I should find out what their signature dish is. Oh. Oh, there's also a book called Adirondack Ghost, and it has a lot of Grace Brown <gasps> stories in. There's so much ghost stuff. I think I actually have like four... We got like four letters from people yes. as well. So it's going to be a heavy ghost content oh, episode I'm, on I'm Friday. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Did you read those stories yes, we got? I did. I wanted to actually give a shout out to, well, we'll talk more about it on Friday, but I wanted to just briefly mention that we got a lot of great emails from our listeners having some ghostly experiences very similar to my ghostly experience, I had one of the ghost experiences I've had before in my life, but right. being pushed by ghosts. So we'll talk about those more on Friday. Oh, yeah. Also, I just wanted to say we're always happy to read emails uh, on the show. I think I, I never know if our listeners want us to say their names or not. Like, I would never say like a last name or anything. But if you're fine with A, having the email being read on the show, and also B, if you want us to say your name or not, just let us know at the end of the email or at the beginning of the email. I don't care. Right. Because I never know, like, do they want me to read this on Friday or not? But I did get your ghost emails. If you wrote into the show about ghosts, I read them and I was so excited. 
Yeah. So we'll have those as well. That might be good to do on minis too. have like a call of action for people to write in on a topic that we talk about. Look, I've asked people if they've shit their pants before to please write into the show. And no one did. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't, I can't remember of a time. I mean, this is obviously not on topic of this show, but I'm pretty sure since shitting your pants has come up on the show before I have asked people to write in if they, I feel like someone tweeted at us one time. Yeah. Please email us. Yeah. We we want the whole story. We want the whole story and it's easier for us to save the email as opposed to a tweet. Right. So yeah, definitely uh, if you have some more ghost stories, send it in for that episode, I guess. Hollywoodcrimescene at gmail.com. Yeah. So that'll be what we're talking about. We'll be delving more into the Grace Brown, the supernatural aspect and that other murder on the Friday show. We'll be reading those ghost story emails that we got, which I think we got like four or five. Yeah. And then we'll, whatever else comes in, we'll read those as well. And if there is anything worth talking about, we'll bring it up. Yeah. I don't know if there there will be. We'll see. (laughs) And then we'll talk about what we ate, the most important part of every week. Absolutely. But yeah, I I think we should uh, make something apple related. I'm just craving like an apple crisp right now. When they're good, they're good. And like, I know that we would make them really good. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Duh. Or like a well, like a crustata or something. Ooh. That would be fun. Yeah, that would Look, be fun. Look, I haven't made pastry in a while. You haven't? No. You got to. Everyone's like baking bread right now. I'm all about the pastry. I love bread, but I my I'm really good at making pastry. Okay. That's so what then, I like making. Yeah, you should make it. Okay. Uh, so we'll post some pictures on Instagram. Yeah. And yeah. That's that. Cool, guys. Thank you. We'll see you Friday. Bye-bye.